that. Titus chapter 1. We're in verses 10 to 16 this morning. Uh, you guys know the story of the Trojan horse, right? The, uh, the story of the Greek soldiers building this hollow, massive wooden structure where they hid soldiers inside as the story goes. Somehow they, uh, they pushed this massive uh, horse on wheels into the middle of the city uh, there. Over time, these soldiers came out of the Trojan horse and, and plundered the city. Uh, you guys know this story. You guys know how this story goes. Some of you are more familiar with it than I am. But there's a lesson to the story. And the lesson is simple. Don't be so gullible. Of course, there's soldiers inside the wooden horse. Like, don't be so naive. Don't be so dumb. There's, there's soldiers in there. No, that's not the moral of that story, although it could be that. The story illustrates what? That if you're not on guard, that if you're not careful, that if you don't uh, guard that which is yours in such a way that you are alert and aware of the enemy trying to encroach you, that you are in danger. It also illustrates this, that the best way to bring down a city the best way to bring down an organization, the best way to bring down a church is not from the outside, but from the inside. To destroy a church is not to squeeze it from the outside by taking away buildings, by placing restrictions on it, by making it difficult for the church to meet. The way to destroy a church is to place false teachers, false prophets on the inside of the church. Get denominations to split. Get congregations to split. Get families on the inside upset at, one, uh, upset at one another. Biting and devouring one another. Infiltrate from the inside and teach false doctrine and do it all in the name of Jesus. That's how you plunder a church. This is the goal of the enemy to destroy the local church. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 25, Jesus told a parable of this very thing where, where he talked about the servants sowing this good seed and he's seeing a, a lot of growth and a, and, a, and a lot of maturity within the people and then those servants fall asleep and when they're asleep, the enemy comes in and he sows seed among the plants and over time, the weeds grow and they choke out that which is good. This is Satan's strategy. You ready? Here's his strategy. Persecute the church from the outside. Get the church thinking that the real enemy and the real threat is on the outside while secretly deploying wolves in sheep's clothing inside the church. Let's get their attention on the outside. But on the inside, the wolves come in and devour the sheep. It's from this perspective that the elders of the church must be sound in doctrine and able to discern false teaching and false teachers. It's, it's from this lens of an enemy coming up from within the church body to destroy it that the elders must protect the church family. Protect it therefore keeping it pure and making it a house of God. This is what our text says. Let's read it together with that in mind. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10. For there are 
many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help now as we dive in to the words that we just read. It's impossible for us to understand it apart from your Spirit. You wrote the book by your Spirit. Your Spirit lives within us, and we depend on the Spirit for understanding. Help us now, Lord, as we submit and obey your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. The topic here is this, identifying and silencing false teachers identifying and silencing false teachers. The context, as we know and as we've heard, if you've been here for for any time the last eight weeks or so that we've been in the book of Titus, is we know that Paul has charged Titus with planting and building up healthy churches. He places the emphasis on leadership, and not just any leadership, but leadership that is sound in character, leadership that has much integrity, leadership that is able to teach the Word of God. And part of being able to teach the Word of God, we looked a little bit at this last week, but uh, now moving forward in our text, part of being able to teach the Word of God is being able to defend those who contradict it. And so this morning, what I want us to be able to do is to be able to identify characteristics of a false teacher and then the role, the specific role that the elders have in confronting these false teachers. So first is this, the characteristics of a false teacher. Number one, the amount. The amount. Look at verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. There are many false teachers in and around the church. There are many who distort the gospel. There are many who claim to be teaching the truth, but are actually teaching and displaying error. There are many who look the part. There are many who uh, at first message or at first sound uh, may even teach some truth, but at the end of the day, they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. In James chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, that, Not many of you should be teachers. There is a massive amount of false teachers in and around us. This was true on the island of Crete. As it says there, there are many who are insubordinate. 
This is true of, of these many insubordinate and empty talkers. They were probably uh, in these small home churches. Those who would rise up as false teachers within these, these uh, smaller churches all around this island. It's especially true even now that false teachers have arisen among the church and not just the church at large, as we think of, of false teachers that, that maybe plague our televisions or they're promoted on the radio or they, they're, they're on our Twitter feeds and Instagrams. They're uh, the ones that are in our communities, but they're also even more personal than that. We can't be naive to think that everyone that we see that claims Christ, that, 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 that says they believe in Christ, is uh, actually what they say they are. What's happened is, is everybody has a voice. Everybody can now speak their mind. They have a platform to do it. But not everybody is speaking the truth. I want you to see this with me. Look over in Jude uh, chapter uh, 1. If I told you to go to Jude chapter 2, there'd be a major problem with your pastor. There is no Jude chapter 2. Jude 1. We've got to see this. Verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. It's not just true back then that there were certain people who would creep into families and creep into households and, and creep into churches that are ungodly people to, to twist and distort the truth and eventually split the church. It's also true today. And there's not just a few of them. There are many of them. And we must be alert. Even the Apostle Paul needed to be on alert. In Acts chapter 20 and verses 20, 29 and 30, he, he tells the church, be on alert from these people. Have your radar up. Secondly is this, identifying a false teacher. The second characteristic is this, their attitude. Their attitude, or you can say this, this is their character. This is who they are. This is how we can identify who they are. And interestingly enough, uh, Paul spent so much time here in verses 5 to 9 on the character and integrity of a godly man. And now he spends ample time here on the character of a false teacher. He wants us to be able to identify one from the other. And that both those characters stand in opposition to one another. And it's so we can easily identify them. Number one is this. They're rebellious or insubordinate. These are men and even women who are outside the control of God. Insubordinate, rebellious. They, they are those who will not take instruction. They're those who will not heed the counsel of others when they come into their life and they say, hey, something's going on. You need to make changes. They, they will not listen. They're rebellious. They do their own things. They're out for themselves. 
so prideful that they will not listen to any authority around them. They, they've set up their own kingdom, and they're the, the king of that kingdom in their family, in their work, in their friendships. They will not listen to anyone else around them. And instead of listening to the godly advice of men and women who come into their life to speak truth into their life, what they do is they remove them out of their life or they themselves flee from them. They do their own things. No accountability, no authority. They're rebellious, they're prideful, they're insubordinate. And they may even have the appearance of godliness, right? That's what it says in verse 16. Verse 16 says these men know what? They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. They deny them by their works. In fact, in Jude, where we just were in verse 7, it says exactly that, that these men were examples of, of those who were insubordinate, rejecting the truth. Secondly is this, they're empty talkers. False teachers are empty talkers. They've mastered the art of communication. They're smooth with their speech. They're able to manipulate with their words and with their feelings. They sound deep as if they're deep religious people with deep theological knowledge but really they are shallow and vain. You first hear them, you think to yourself, wow, that, that was really good, that was really smooth, that was, that was really well taught. You keep listening and you realize this is nothing more than self-help counsel. This is nothing more than, than shallow Christianese phrases that are used over and over and over again to manipulate you into thinking something that is contrary to the Word of God, to make themselves look good. They're those who pick a word or a phrase out of the Bible and they pull it out of its context and they make it sound so true and they, they force it into your lives with feelings. Clever about it. Promising you blessing, promising you riches, promising you prosperity in your life. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses uh, 13 to 15, it talks about these deceivers, deceiving people with their words. In fact, that's the next characteristic of them. Look what it says. They're empty talkers and what? Deceivers. They're willing to lie to you, to deceive you, so that they would look better. They lie to you, deceive you, so that they would look good. So they would have power and they would have position and they would have money. Even willing to twist the truth of Scripture. And these were the men that were on the island of Crete, right? It even says that, that these men, they're empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, uh, meaning this, that they were even willing to distort the truth into getting you to think that there is actually a works-based salvation. Their theology is off. Their teaching is off. But it sounds so good. It even says in verse 14 that these men were devoting themselves to Jewish myths, the commandments of people. And ultimately what was happening is this. They were turning people away from the truth. 
false theology, distorted theology. Jews who were on the island of Crete who would, who would have just enough truth uh, in their theology, but also enough air to make you turn sideways to what the Bible has to say. Now, that sounds really good, but it is a little bit off. That's what was happening here. But that's not all. The character is even more exposed, and it's not exposed by Paul this time. It's exposed by one of their own. Look at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said this. So one of their own is, is giving you an insight into the people here on the island of Crete. This isn't something that Paul is even saying. I mean, he was there. Verse 5 tells us that he was there and he left Titus behind and he's giving us what he experienced. Now he's saying, hey, here's a testimony from one of your own. It's not a good one. Look what it says. Verse 9, a prophet of their own has said this about you. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. It says this, they're what? They're always liars, chronic liars. They're cheaters. They're notorious for their ability to deceive someone. They're notorious for their ability to manipulate some, someone, cheat them out of their money. In fact, this very word there for liars, uh, the Greek word for it is kretizo. It's where you actually get the word crete from. That's how bad these people were on the island, that they came up with a word to describe them, the very own name of their island, crete. It says they're evil beasts. Meaning this, that they behave according to their lusts. They behave according to their passions. They don't behave according to the will of God. They, they act like animals. Even in Jude uh, chapter 1, which we read earlier and down following, it even talks about these men. And even, it even says this, is that uh, in Jude 10, it says, These people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals like unreasoning animals and then lastly is this they're known as lazy gluttons meaning this they have uncontrolled appetites uncontrolled lusts always desiring more and more from the world no discipline That's not all Paul tells us. Here's the third thing Paul tells us about these false teachers is this, their ambition. Their ambition, what are they in, what are they in it for? Look at verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching, what? For shameful gain. They're teaching for shameful gain. The goal of their teaching amounts to three things, their pride, their sensuality, and their greed. Look at me with me over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter talks a lot about this. Second Peter chapter 2.
It identifies and it's helpful for us to understand these false prophets and these false teachers and their ambition. Second Peter chapter 2, it says this, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying their master who bought them, bringing upon them, bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of, because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It goes on to say in, uh, down in uh, verse 10. If you look down in verse 10, it, it says, And especially those, speaking of the same character of these false teachers, those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority, Verse 12, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the, the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They enticed unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They have hearts trained in greed. And what Peter is telling us and what Titus is telling us is this shameful gain really comes down to three things, but the highlight of all of it is money, but it's these three things. Number one, they're in it for their pride. They're in it for themselves. They defy authority. They deny the master who bought them. Secondly, they're in it for sensuality, which typically means sexual sin. They're in it for sexual sin. In fact, it says in verse 2 of what we just read that many will follow their sensuality. They'll lead others down the same path. And then third, false prophets and false teachers are in it for this. They're, they're in it for greed. They're in it for money. They're in it for material gain. In verse 14 and 15 of 2 Peter, uh, chapter 2 tells us, In their greed, they will exploit you. It says they have hearts that are trained in greed. John Piper says this, What false teachers throughout history have shared in common, what they've shared in common is not the specific nature of their doctrinal error, but the inevitability of the moral compromise in one of these three general areas. Another way to see it is that their falseness comes out in sin against themselves, against others, or against God. In their greed, they fleece the flock for material gain. Or in their lust, they compromise sexually, whether fornication, adultery, or homosexuality, which Second Peter 2 suggests. Or in their pride, they despise authority. And the greatest authority who upholds all authorities is God himself. And yet the greatest motivation of all of this is their greed. Their hearts are trained in greed. In fact, they believe that 
the more godly they are, the greater their gain will be. They know that money is power, money is control, money makes you look good. They have a love for money, they're greedy for money, because their life is all about them, and whatever makes them look good is what they're about. This is the exact opposite of the Apostle Paul. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 33? He said this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. The Apostle Paul didn't have a love for money. He was free from the love of money. False teachers are gripped by the love of money. True story. Pastor asked his congregation for $65 million dollars for a private plane so that he could do ministry 65 million dollars for a private plane to do ministry another pastor bought his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini for their wedding anniversary I got up my game, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm falling short here. Their ambition is shameful gain. So shameful that they will twist and pervert the truth in order to fatten their own pockets. Bring shame on the church. It brings shame upon Jesus Christ. They'll even go as far to upset families, destroy families. It does not matter to them. Go back to Titus. I want you to see this. Lastly is their actions. Their actions. The fallout of a character that is described as that will lead you to this. To this. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. What is Paul saying here? Paul is speaking of inward purity. When a person has inward purity on their heart and on their mind and in his thoughts and his perspectives, when that is pure, when he has inward purity, that leads to pure teaching, pure counsel, a pure life, pure actions, pure discernment. All things are pure. Why? Because the inward heart has been transformed. A desire to know and love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, continually confessing and forsaking sin and seeking repentance, asking the Lord to forgive you, having a pure heart so that you can make pure decisions. You want to change the actions on the outside, start with changing the heart on the inside, and what will follow is pure actions. If you have uh, uh, impure actions, it's because you have an impure heart. Why don't you notice this too? Look over with me. Jesus said these very words in Matthew chapter 7. Look with me in Matthew 7. We can see this together, specifically speaking of false prophets in this regard. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, 15. Here's what it says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, how are we going to recognize these? 
You will recognize them by their fruits. Are there grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them ultimately by their actions. They can hide behind the smooth talk, but eventually their actions will come out. Pastor John MacArthur says this about a false prophet. He says a person's basic character his inner motives, standards, loyalties, attitudes, and ambitions will eventually show through in what he does and how he acts. False prophets can disguise and hide their bad fruit for a while with ecclesiastical trappings, biblical knowledge, and evangelical vocabulary. They can cover it by belonging to Christian organizations, associating with Christian leaders, and by talking about divine things, but how they talk, act, and react when not in the view of Christians, will eventually expose their true loyalty and convictions. What is at the heart will emerge, and corrupt theology will result in a corrupt life. False teaching and perverted living are inseparable, and eventually will become manifest. We know this to be true, right? That time and truth go hand in hand. It may be uh, difficult at first to recognize a false teacher or a false prophet, but over time, their character will be exposed. Because you can't separate the two. You will know them by their actions. Even though they profess to know God, they deny them by their works. That's exactly what it says in verse 16. And ultimately, you will come to know who exactly who they are. The last sentence of chapter 1 in Titus tells us exactly what these people are. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Their actions betray their cover. And they'll be exposed as a false, a fake, and a hypocrite of the worst kind. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Isaiah said it. Jesus said it in Matthew, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, I want you to notice something, because this is where it really hits home for us, I believe. And the danger is right in our very homes. Look at verse 11. These spiritual seducers do so much damage. This is the damage they do. Verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Families are destroyed by false teaching. The word there for, for upset is actually the word to overthrow, to destroy, or to overturn families. These people are ruining the lives of families within the church. Their godless testimonies, their character, their teaching. And not only that, but when a false teacher arises, the only thing they do is undermine the authority of Scripture. 
They ruin the confidence of the people in the church. They ruin the confidence of Holy Scripture, confidence in the leadership, confidence in the pastor when, when men when arise and, and teach another gospel. And the overthrow, overflow of that, families are destroyed, splintered. Because all these people care about is their pride, their sensuality, their money. They don't care about families. They don't care about you. They're willing to teach things that they ought not to teach. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18, which, which we know we've been referencing this a lot, is these are the pastoral epistles written to, to, from Paul to Timothy and to Titus. In 2 Timothy 2, 18, he even warns Timothy of this very thing happening of people coming in and upsetting families. It says there in uh, 2 Timothy 3, in verses 1 to 6, again, a, a warning of the people, of the godlessness that is going to happen. It says in 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days, 2 Timothy 3.1, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God, you're like, wait, did, did he write that 2,000 years ago or did he write that yesterday? It's exactly our culture. They have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Avoid such people. Why? For among them are those who creep into houses and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. We'd like to think that, that a false teacher uh, is going to have no bearing on my family. But if you let them creep in, they will. It happened then, it'll happen today. In the name of unity, they're destroying families. And I want to say this too. This isn't just a principle for pastors. This isn't just a principle for elders. This is a, a principle for any, anybody who, who leads any sort of group. Friends, come into the group and they upset whole families. Why? Because of their hypocrisy, because of their lies, because of their deceit, because of their manipulation, and it's shameful. It brings a reproach upon God. Families overturned by people who come in, teach a false doctrine, claim that they know God, but by their deeds they deny Him outright, and it upsets entire families. I've seen it happen. That leads us to this then. The responsibility of the elder. What's Titus saying to the elders? He's telling them they have a responsibility, and here's the responsibility. Ready? There's two things they're to do. Number one, they're to silence them. This is very straightforward. It should be no surprise. False teachers and false prophets must be silenced. Literally, put a muzzle on their mouth. The Greek word is to muzzle them. Do not give them opportunity. Do not give them a platform. Do not allow them to creep into the church to speak false things about Christ and the cross. 
Protect your flock. Be bold, be courageous, and confront these teachers, and do not allow them to speak. That's your job. To be able to do that, look at verse 9. What, what must the elder be, be able to do? He must be able to teach, and he must have sound doctrine. Why? So that you'll be able to rebuke it and contradict it. That means this, that the elder must have a high level of biblical knowledge to be able to refute those who are teaching against it. And they must be silenced. Don't give them a voice in the church. Don't give them a voice in small groups. Don't give them a voice in Bible study. Any platforms that allows them to teach false doctrine, it is your job as an elder of the church to protect your flock from upsetting families by their false doctrine by silencing them. Number two is this, verse 13. What does it say? The testimony is true, therefore what? Rebuke them. How are you to rebuke them? You're to rebuke them what? Sharply. Rebuke them sharply. What does that mean? It means this, to cut with force. To cut with force. To give them the truth plainly. Give them the truth honestly. Give them the truth in a straightforward manner. Cut it straight with them. Don't validate them. Don't give them an out. Convict and convince them with the truth. In 2 Peter, when Paul uh, told, told Timothy what the, what the uh, word of God was used for, do you remember one of the words that was the word of God was used for? It was, it was used for rebuke. How do you rebuke them? Then? You rebuke them with the truth. This is what God's word says. This is the truth. And you use the word of God to do so. Notice too, this, the goal, rebuke them, why? That they may be sound in faith. The goal is that they would be sound in faith. Why sound in faith? Because when you have a healthy doctrine, you will have healthy living. That's why you rebuke them. Because they need to know the truth so they can live out the truth. So their actions and their behavior will change because their actions and their behavior will not change unless their heart has changed. And the only way their heart is going to change is if they have the truth. So rebuke them in such a way that you feed them the truth so that their heart will change. Because we know this, that you will eventually act out everything that you believe. What you believe always dictates your behavior. Your doctrine always dictates your duty. And the only way to change your actions is to change your theology and to change what you believe. You say, Joe, why do we spend so much time talking about theology? Because I believe with my, own, my whole heart that the only way that your life is going to change is if you have more truth. And the more truth you have, the more opportunity you have to obey it and submit to it. And the outflow of that is going to be a changed life. So what are the elders to do? Silence them. Don't give them opportunity to speak. And rebuke them with the truth so that their doctrine will change, so that their heart will change, so that their actions will change. The elders are to love their congregation enough to defend them. They're to love their congregation enough to confront those who infiltrate it and are trying to divide it. 
You say, well, what's my response to this? Okay, this is your response. You asked for it. Well, I asked you for it, so you asked. Here it is anyway. Here's the response for you. Number one is this. Be alert. Be alert. In your own life and in your own family, you need to be alert. There are false teachers everywhere. The threat is very real. Again, this is what John Piper says. He says this. Listen to this. If you cannot identify any voices you hear as false, it's not because you aren't being exposed, but because you're falling for it in some way. That's how many false prophets there are out there. That's how many voices are speaking into you. And if you're not able to discern it, it's not because you're not exposed to it. It's because you've fallen into it in some way. And you need to be alert. Number two, you need to be discerning. You need to be discerning. Not every book that says it's a Christian book is healthy and truthful. I know you guys shop on Amazon. So not every, in the drop down, Christian and spiritual in that category is a healthy book for you to read. And you have to use discernment. Not every church, not every pastor who claims to be speaking the truth is speaking the truth. And we got to heed these warnings. Number three is this, be ready. Be ready to defend the truth. Be ready to give an answer. Be ready to be criticized for standing for the truth. Be ready to be persecuted for standing for the truth. Be ready for friends not to be around you because you stand for the truth. You have to be ready. You say, how, how can I be ready? Let me give you an illustration. This is hopefully will be helpful to you. When the FBI trains the FBI agents to figure out a counterfeit dollar bill, of all the counterfeit dollar bills, all the money that's out there, the way that they train them is not put in front of them all the different counterfeits and say, hey, study all the counterfeits so that you'll know when you see one, you, you've got one. No, they give them a genuine bill. And they say, study this, become an expert in it. Know it entirely, front and back, every single spot on it. So that when you see one that is not the truth, and they will look very much like the truth, you will be trained to know that that is not the truth. That is a false. Say, so what's the point? The point is this. You want to be able to discern a false teacher? You need to know the truth. Don't go chasing down the false teachers. Go chasing down God, Jesus Christ, and his word, and be so trained in the word of God that when a false teaching comes about and you hear about it, your senses are up and you go, you know what? There's just something not right about that. You got to train yourself in the Word of God. Be alert. There's many out there. Be discerning and be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, again are exposed to the truth of who you are. You have given to us loving words of encouragement for us to be ready, to be discerning, to be alert, 
for those who hate you, who hate the truth, who are false teachers trying to pull us away, trying to lure us away from you. God, I do pray for our church that you would keep us and protect us from false teachers who desire to rise up among us. Guard our church from that. We don't want to be naive. We want to be alert. While at the same time, Lord, we want to pour into people and we want to love people and we want to teach them the truth and we want to give them truth every single week so that they can be strong in the Word of God and able to detect a false prophet when they hear one. Lord, we know the damage that comes from this. Families are torn apart. Churches are torn apart. Denominations are torn apart. And we want to do everything we can, Lord, to protect the bride of Jesus Christ. We want to protect the purity of the church. We want to protect families in the church. That's our aim. That's our ambition. We want to be pleasing to you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.